in the 1800s, there was a French aristocrat named Alexis de Tocqueville. He wrote a famous book called Democracy in America. It is still considered a classic among scholars in political science today. After Tocqueville visited America, 1831, just a few years, a few decades before the Civil War, he said this, and I quote, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, her boundless forests, but her greatness was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, her institutions of higher learning, but her greatness was not there. I looked for it in her democratic Congress, her matchless constitution, and her greatness was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Our nation <clears throat> has been for many decades in need of the help of the good, godly, righteous people called Christians. We need our pulpits and our churches, in the words of de Tocqueville, to flame again with righteousness. That is America's only hope. America is in trouble morally and spiritually and has been for decades. As born again Christians, we want to help. So I'm here to share with you today 10 ways to help America. You say, Brother Steve, we don't have an outline. No, you don't, but I do. <clears throat> and I want to give it to you. I want to give you a plan. And to be frank with you, it wouldn't matter what country you're in. If you followed this plan, I believe your country would be more like Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can we say that together? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Read the rest with me, please. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. We are blessed in so many ways, but we also, we need help. And we have for a long time.
So let me just give you these 10 things that anybody can do. This is not complicated. And anyone who loves the Lord should do. The first thing is this, that you can do for your country is this. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've never been saved, you will make America a better place if you will receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. How do you do that? How do you become a Christian? You go through catechism. Is that what it is? Is it being baptized or sprinkled? How do you get saved? How do you become a Christ follower? There are three major words in the New Testament, all of them scriptural. If you want to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, number one, you have to repent of sin. You cannot be a Christian unless you repent. Repent means to turn from an old way of life and to turn toward Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you become perfect, but it does mean that you ask God to forgive you for your sins. What is sin? Breaking the laws of God. Who's done it? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're all sinners. And there's a payment for it. The paycheck for sin is death. The wages, the just penalty for sin is death. Separation from God. So you've got to repent. Jesus, at the earliest days of his ministry. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, now after John had been arrested, taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. First thing out of his mouth, repent and believe in the gospel. Turn. When Peter was preaching outside the beautiful gate where the man had been healed. The crowd was listening. They wanted to know how to be saved. He said, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped or washed away in order that times or seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, if you have never repented, do it even now as I preach. Turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. But that's not enough. You have to also believe in Jesus, savingly believe in Jesus. You have to believe that when he died on the cross that he did that to pay the penalty for your sin. You have to believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. You cannot not believe those two things and go to heaven. You cannot not believe that Jesus died for your sin. You have to believe that he paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. You have to believe in the blood, the atoning blood of Christ. 
You can't be saved without believing that. And you can't be saved if you think he's still dead in Jerusalem. You have to believe that he walked out of that grave on the first Easter morning. If you don't believe that, you are not a Christian. You have to believe. Greatest verse in the Bible, Jesus talking to a man named Nicodemus. He said, John 3, 16, read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul was preaching in Acts 16, 31. He said, therefore believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Have you ever believed savingly in Jesus? That he died not just for everybody, but he died for you and that he rose from the dead to give you. You've got to repent. You've got to believe it. There's one more thing. You've got to receive. You've got to receive Jesus. You've got to invite him into your life. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. John 1, 12, as many as received him. There it is. To them, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. If you've never received him, you don't have the right to become a child of God. You don't get that right until you receive him, even to those who believe in his name. <clears throat> it's all wrapped up together. And then some of the most famous words in the Bible, they come from Joel chapter 2, Romans 10, verse 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The King James says, whosoever. Aren't you glad that whosoever, as the old hymn says, surely meaneth me. Amen. You want to make America a better place? You want to help America? Become a Christian. Repent, believe, and receive. Number two, you want to help your country? Be a spirit-filled, mature Christian. And when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It means you're lost. People who are saved, are their bodies are the temple of the living God. Christ doesn't live in these buildings. We can dress it up as pretty as we want to, but Christ does not live, the Spirit of God does not come to live within a building. I believe in His manifest presence. I believe where two or three have gathered together, the Lord is with us in the power of the Spirit. I'm not against that. I'm all for that. You don't know how for that I am. But I want to tell you something. you got to get saved before He comes to live in your heart. And when he comes to live within you, you become the temple of the living God. Your spirit filled then. How does that work? The spirit within you, Jesus said, in your innermost being. The King James says, in your belly, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not you receiving more of the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, no. He's a person. You don't get him on the installment plan. You get him all when you get saved. But the problem is sometimes he doesn't have all of you. And the more of you that he has, the more that you surrender, now he's going to flow out of you. And that outflow is the release of living water. And that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. There is one baptism of the Holy Spirit at salvation, but there are multiple fillings for the rest of your life. I prayed before I came up here. In fact, my wife prayed for me. So I know that prayer was heard, amen. Fill Steve with the Holy Spirit. And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to listen to a sermon as well. 
Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. That's excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It used to bother me. I, it used to really bother me. Why in the world, put that uh, back on the screen just a second. Why in the world would, would God, in the same sentence as being filled with the Holy Spirit, why would he say don't get drunk with wine? Well, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. You ever seen somebody drunk? I know some of you never have. You ever seen a drunk man? He walks differently, doesn't he? He talks differently, doesn't he? He thinks differently, doesn't he? He acts differently, doesn't he? So is that not the perfect imagery? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, shouldn't you walk differently? Live differently? Talk differently? Think differently? Shouldn't you be different if you're filled with the Holy Spirit than if you're not? Sure you should. Perfect illustration. Then the Bible says in Galatians 5, through 23, something's going to be coming out of you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And by the way, kindness is right there in the middle goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And guess what? Against such things, there is no law. You're not going to find a law and say, you're being too kind, we're going to penalize you. That's not going to happen. You need to be spirit-filled. And then after that, and as that's going on, guess what? You need to mature. You need to grow in grace. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, that every Christian, like a newborn baby, should long for the pure milk of the Word, the Word of God, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You're saved now, but you're just a little baby. You need the Word. You need the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word to grow. My favorite verse, when I pray for Christians to be growing in grace, I get it straight from 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then Paul Got so, or Peter got so happy, he just get, breaks out into doxology. To him be the glory, both now and forever, or to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. So you need to be saved, but you need to be spirit-filled and mature as a Christian. And then, we'll see if you obey the, we're going to see if you, Amen, this one, all right. Then you need to obey the law. <laughs> One amen, amen. Now, Brother Steve, did you know that God invented government? Government comes from God. Did you know that? He said, no, no way. Yes way. Romans 13, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? 
Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God. No amens. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for your conscience' sake. For because of this also you pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Seriously. We are better with government than without it. I wouldn't want to live in a land that said anybody that wanted to break into my house could. There's no law, see? I wouldn't want to live in an America where somebody could legally, because there's no law, come up and take my life. Even though sometimes we don't like the government, we'd be in a lot worse position without them. You say, but what about China? What about so-and-so? What about all these other countries that are oppressive? Oh, I, 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 I'm not through. There comes a time when you have to, and some of our brothers and sisters have to, and they pay a price for it. You have to say, you know, I believe that government comes from God, but I believe that God comes before government. Do you remember when they were told, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to throw you into jail? They said, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. What does that mean? It means what it says. God's laws are superior to man's laws. So if God tells you to share the gospel, then you ought to share the gospel. If the Bible tells a preacher he ought to preach the Word, then he ought to preach the Word. And if the government says don't preach the Word, he ought to preach the Word until he's preaching the Word behind bars. Just about every person in the New Testament that had, was used of God at all got arrested. Did you know that? Yes, government is from God. But God comes before government. So we need to obey the law. And you know what? You don't need freedom to be able to drive like a maniac, all right? I don't believe I ought to have to obey that 75 mile an hour thing. I want to go 90. Bless your heart and bless your family. Obey the law. Pray for America. 
I hear people say, you shouldn't pray for America. Oh, sure you should. If you live in Korea, you ought to pray for Korea. If you live in China, you ought to pray for China. If you live in Canada, you ought to pray for Canada. Jeremiah, by the way, Jesus quoted him more than any other prophet. Jeremiah said this to people who were exiled in one of, if not the most ungodly place ever on the earth. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about the times of the great tribulation being like Babylon. That's how bad Babylon was. And Jeremiah wrote to them, the people of God who were living in Babylon, and he said, pray for Babylon. He said in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. And that's, he gave the great verses later on. I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. All of that came. He said, but I want you to pray for Babylon. Look, if they were supposed to pray for Babylon, I'm supposed to pray for America. And so are you. Bible says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, I searched for a man, God says, among them. And these people were in Babylon. I searched for a man who would build up the wall and stand in the gap. That's prayer language is what that is. That's talking about building up a spiritual wall. Whenever you pray, you build up a, God builds a wall because of your prayers. And you stand in the gap. He said, I'm looking for somebody to build up the wall, stand in the gap before me for the land. I'm wanting somebody to pray for Babylon. I'm wanting somebody to pray for America so that I will not destroy it. But I found no one. I just found a bunch of people fussing with one another. I just found a bunch of people picking sides and hurting one another. I didn't find anybody praying for a nation. All I heard was a bunch of rancor. God help us. How are we supposed to pray? How about just praying for our leaders? That'd be a great place to start. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. First of all then, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men and specifically for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Every morning. I don't care who's in the White House. I pray for them every morning. Every morning. I pray. I'm not going. I'm not going to go through a day without praying for those who are in lead. I pray for our mayor of Shelby County. I pray for our Memphis mayor. I pray for our leaders. I pray for those who are in the House and the Senate. The leaders by name. I pray for our Supreme Court members, all nine of them, every day, every day. John G. Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Stephen Breyer, Samuel Alito, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. If you don't know their names, get to know them. Pray for them every day. Pray geographically. Get you a map. Start praying state by state. And when you pray, pray Scripture. And a great one is, Lord, 
If we, your people, Christians, called by your name, will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, turn from our wicked ways, would you please hear from heaven, forgive our sin, heal our land? Second Chronicles 7, 14, pray for America. Number five, develop a godly family. You say, my family's broken. You know what? Start where you are. Don't look back. Go forward. Do the best you can. Been through a divorce. My mother was divorced and stayed married to my daddy 56 years. You can start over. She did. Develop a godly family. Start where you are. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 14, and 15, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Say that with me. Choose for yourselves today. Here it is now. Whom you will serve, whether the gods which... Your fathers served, which are beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But now read the rest of it with me. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't help what anybody else is going to do, amen, but I can take care of me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. If we all go to jail, we'll go to jail. What y'all doing at Christmas? Oh, we're just going to go to jail because we're going to serve the Lord. I'd rather serve the Lord in jail than to be outside. I'd rather be free spiritually in jail than to be free physically without Jesus. To me, the greatest succinct text of, in all the Bible of the family is Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Be well worth you memorizing. Talks about wives, husbands, children, and parents. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be embittered against them. And by the way, that's where your wife gets that all the time. Honey, be sweet. She's saying, don't be bitter toward me. <laughs> no amens. That's too late. Too late. Too late. That was a woman saying it anyway. Don't say that. Good. Children, be obedient to your parents. Now, y'all know what I'm looking for now. That's not that doesn't For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't frustrate them <laughs> so that they won't lose heart. I mean, there it is right there. Just, what are you supposed to do? Wives, honor your husbands. Let them lead. doesn't mean they're dictators. Just let them lead. And husbands, if you want to lead, then love your wife. And then you children out there, quit popping off to your mom and daddy all the time. Stop it. I can assure you, you don't know what you're talking about. Most of the time. Many teenagers today are so rebellious, they're like a Mouth attached to an attitude. I love you. But it doesn't do anybody any good for you to pop off to your parents. Boy, back in my day, if I popped off to Edgar, there was another pop coming. Amen? 
Pop knew how to pop. Just love your loving parents. Develop a godly family. Number six, be a faithful member of a local church. One of the best things you can do is get in a church and start really getting active in that church. There is no perfect church. And if you ever grow up, if you ever join a church, it just stopped being perfect. Amen? Because none of us are perfect. Acts 9.31 is my favorite verse in the whole Bible about the church. I pray it every day for this church. I've done it for years. Every church I've ever been in, I pray this verse all the time. Every day, you ought to learn this verse. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, going on the fear of the Lord, comfort of the Holy Spirit. They continue to increase. I pray those five things every day for this and many other churches. I pray it for my. I pray with my boy every Sunday morning on the way to church about six thirty. We talk and we pray. He's going to preach. I'm going to preach. I prayed for his church. I prayed for our kids' churches. And the Bible says you ought to go to church. You say, where does the Bible say I ought to go to church? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Where do you get that? At church. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, putting courage back into one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ coming, drawing near. The closer we get to the end of time, man, we need one another. I need you. You need me. You may not think you need me or you may not think you need the person around you, but you need them. And I got news for you. I got more in common with you than I do anybody in my family that's lost. I've got more in common with a saved person in China than I do an American who is lost. I could go on with analogies. I won't. But you need to get in a local church and get, start serving. Don't just say, well, I'm here. Wait on me now. I'm here. Help me. Don't just do that. Come in here and see what you can do to help the kingdom of God spread. Don't come in here to be served. Come in here to serve others and to serve the Lord. And you'll get more out of it than you ever dreamed. Don't just be a consumer spiritually. Be a contributor. Number seven, share Jesus with lost people. That's something you could, that'll help America. You say, how do you do that? You follow Jesus, Matthew 4, 19. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We're going to go out and catch some souls today. We're going to cast out the gospel bait. We're going to cast out the gospel net and we're going to pull it in. We're going to share the gospel with people and everybody won't get saved, but <clears throat> there will be some that get saved. And I'll tell you this, won't anybody get saved if you don't cast out the net? You can't catch a fish if you don't cast out the bait. Have you ever seen somebody go fishing, catch any fish? No. Well, maybe that's because you don't have the bait in the water. You're not sharing the gospel. You're not telling people about Jesus. Maybe that's why you're not seeing anybody saved. you got to cast the gospel net. At the first of his ministry, Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men right out of the gate. Let's go soul winning. And what was he saying right before he went back to heaven? Same thing, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples includes winning people to Jesus of all the nations. Baptize them after they get saved in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And if you'll do that, lo, behold, 
I'll be with you even in the end of the age. God is with soul winning churches. He's within churches that tell people about Jesus and ask them to get saved. And the very last thing Jesus said in his resurrected state, right before he went up to heaven, 40 days after he'd been raised from the dead, the Bible says he was standing there on the mountain right outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says before he went up, he said, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. I'll tell you how I pray. That verse, Lord, I pray that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us at Bellevue and we will be your witnesses in Cordova, Memphis, Shelby County, the Mid-South, the nation, and the nations. That's how you can pray that verse. Share Jesus with the lost people. I want to ask you this. When's the last time you led somebody to faith in Jesus? And I'll give you a more important question. When's the last time you tried? You say, well, I hadn't been to seminary. So what? Donna's daddy, 91 years old, he hadn't been to seminary. He's still leading people to the Lord. He has led to what do you call the people that sell stuff on TV? Tell a what? He's led two telemarketers to the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'll listen to you if you'll listen to me. You can tell people about Jesus if you just will. Number eight, be salt and light. Engage the culture with the truths of the Word of God. My son and I were talking about this this morning as I was coming into work, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the, not a, the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp, put it under a peck measure or a basket, but on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine. Say those words with me. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are supposed to be salt. We are supposed to preserve the only reason, the only real reason that America or any other country doesn't just totally go off the cliff is because somebody out there is a Christian and they are preserving the society with the salt of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we would live in abject darkness if it wasn't for somebody talking about Jesus because we are the light of the world and he is the light of the world. Buddha is not the light of the world. Muhammad is not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world and we are his disciples and his light must come out of us. Engage your community. Don't be isolated all the time. Many Americans are like a wood duck. Have you ever seen a wood duck hit its hole? Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Bless your hearts. Y'all ought to get out more, I'm telling you. A wood, wood duck will be flying about 20 miles an hour and it hits a hole in the tree and it never hits its noggin. You know what a noggin is? It's right there. That's how a lot of people go home. 
They're like a wood duck. They hit their garage and shut the door before they get out of the car because they don't want to see anybody. They're isolated. Once in a while, get out and talk to folks. Man, when I was growing up, I know y'all get, get tired of hearing that. We knew everybody. We knew everybody. Engage your community. Get involved in your children's school activities. Serve your community in strategic ways. Volunteer. Be a good citizen. And stay informed on social issues. Poverty. People's needs. Find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and meet it. Proverbs 24 says, By wisdom a house is built. By understanding it's established. For by wise guidance you'll wage war. And in abundance of counselors there's victory. One of the best podcasts you can get is albertmoeller.com. That guy is so smart. It's unbelievable. He gives a lot of great information about what's going on in our nation. And then share your views with other people. Quit being emphatic about what you're against and tell people what you're for. Tell people that you are for racial harmony. Tell people you are for biblical marriage. Tell people you are for unborn children having the right to live. Stop telling them what you're against. Tell them what you're for. Be salt and light. Get involved politically. So, oh, here he goes. No, I'm not going off anything. But I do think that we ought to vote. You ought to register. You ought to vote. You ought to know what the candidates believe. You ought to know their stances. And once in a while, you might have a complaint or a compliment or whatever, why don't you contact your congressman? You say, I don't know where to call. I can handle that. Call this number, 202-224-3121. You can ask for anybody up there. That's a Washington number. This last one may blow your mind. Why don't you pray about running for political office? Uh, I, well, you know what? If you won't even pray about it, how do you know? Maybe God wants you to. But somehow get involved politically. But then number 10. This to me is our greatest need. Pray for revival. Listen to these famous words, Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. As soon as you get through writing that down, would you stand up, please? Let's all stand up. I want us to say this together. God is speaking to his people, and Christians are his people in the New Testament. So yes, this text, just like any other Old Testament text, can apply to us if we are the people of God. God is speaking, and he says this to us. Read it with me. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, 
or if I send pestilence among my people. And my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Leave that part up. Why does God allow tragedies? Why does God allow pandemics? Why does God allow things like that to push us to him? To push us to him. If I allow these things, if I send these things, and my people called by my name, what do we call ourselves? Christians. Where does that come from? The name of Christ. If my people called by my name will humble themselves, and part of that's fasting, by the way, humbling ourselves, pray. Seek God's face, not his hand, not what he'll do for us, but just who he is. Seek his face and then turn from our wicked ways. Quit worrying about everybody else. Look in the mirror. Get right with God. Turn from our wicked ways. Then God will hear from heaven. Forgive our sin. And then he'll heal the whole nation. 